I'd like to begin tonight um, a little bit differently. I'd like to begin by asking a question. And um, I'm going to ask you to actually give me the answer. We've got Adam here. He's going to be walking around with a microphone to get some of your answers. The question is this. If you've been a Christian and you've put your faith in Christ and you've experienced growth in your life, I want to ask you, what are some of the things that have led to your spiritual growth? What are some of the things that have really helped you? Or as we're going to be talking about it tonight, what are some of the catalysts for growth. Now, if you speak up, we're not suggesting any of us have arrived, uh, but you have, along the way, had certain things that you've either done or experienced that have made a difference. And so I'd like to get some of your input about what some of those things might be. So just raise your hand, and Adam will run out to you. It'd be fun, by the way, if we get one over here, then one over here. Yeah, it's hilarious. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right, so any volunteers? Okay, there's oh, one okay. in the back there. That's perfect. Right, See, well, that's perfect. I'm going to start here, and then i got to go away. <laughs> oh, we got another one over there. Ha, ha, I don't have to. Okay, we'll start with this one. <laughs> well, um, there's so many things, uh, but um, uh, I guess one of the, the, the biggest thing with me is the number of times he's, uh, God has rescued me from my stupid mistakes. <laughs> um, and um, it just uh, enhances uh, faith when you realize the number of times that... Uh, that he, many times you're right at the brink, ready to fall off the cliff. Mm -hmm. And um, he just brings him the miracle, a miraculous answer uh, to the situation that you're in. Uh, there's many more, but prayer is certainly one of them okay. uh, as well. And answered, answered prayers, this all relates to the answered prayer. Uh, actually keep praying and have faith that God is gonna be faithful as he promises to be. Okay, very good. Hold on, we have another one, sorry. Hold on, hold on. No, I, I just wanted to add that uh, hearing the word, um, coming to church and hearing the word and then studying the word and then finally surrendering uh, on a daily basis is a way. Okay, very good. Uh, for me, it was the, uh, the trials of life, the, the, the bad stuff. Uh, through that, it, it actually brought me much farther and closer to Christ. And actually, I, okay. in my prayers, I, uh, I ask, I thank Him every day for all the problems I've had. Um, it just seems like it's helped me. All right, very good. Some others. I got it. I got it. Just hold on. I'm already sweating. It's probably the sweater. I am um, only 20, but I have found myself a few different times where I have no idea what to do, and I've okay. made some poor decisions and found myself in situations that are not very good, and I've lost sight of Christ too many times, and each time that I come back from that, each time that he pulls me back from that, that's when I experienced the most spiritual growth. Okay, very good. I gotta stand up because I can't think when I'm sitting down, but uh, uh, when I was a child, I was taken to church constantly by my parents. And uh, I grew up in the church and I went to church for all these years. 
but I never really felt Christ in these churches. I just went to church because I had to. And uh, I moved to Ohio when I was in my early 20s for work, and I went to church out there periodically, but I didn't go regularly. And uh, that went on for quite a few years. And then I retired, and I moved back here. To, I moved back to Pennsylvania. And uh, my wife and I went to that little church where mom and dad and my grandparents and everyone had gone, and I was expected to go also. But I still didn't feel anything. So one Saturday night, right after this church opened, we came here. And so then we were kind of double dipping. We were going to this church, and we were going to the little church in Pennsylvania that I was expected to go. But uh, coming to this church is where I really felt Christ. And I remember my mom in the nursing home, uh, I'd go in every night, unless I had to go away for a weekend or something, and I'd read her devotions, and she just loved it. And I thought, well, time has come to tell mom I'm going to change churches. Now, I don't know how this is going to go over. So my mother had the most beautiful, glassy blue eyes. And I said, Mom, I got something to tell you. And she says, uh, yeah, what, what is it? And I said, well, I found this new church that I really enjoy, and I talked to her a little bit about it. And I'll remember these words for the rest of my life. She says, Chuck, you go wherever you find Christ. And that's what I did. And I came here, we became members, uh, we got involved, and I tell you, you, you never really feel the church presence until you really get involved. And there's so much, so many volunteers here, you, you can't even begin to realize the number that it takes to run this church. So, uh, but that's how I found Christ, and I am a different person since I came here. All right, thank you. Maybe one, one or two more. Some already had their hands up. Uh, I was like Chuck. I had a lot of church when I was a kid. There like four times a week. And uh, it really helped my spiritual growth by getting involved when I was a kid. I started handing out programs and shaking hands and then volunteered to be an usher. And then one thing leads to another and you're visiting shut-ins and on a puppet team and stuff like that. But it's helped me over the years in my spiritual walk to, to just dive in and get involved. All right. All right, uh, very good. Uh, are there any that have been waiting to say something? Can't see hands up so. there. Okay, well, today we're going to continue our uh, series we began last week about the difference that church can make in our lives. You know, the writer of Hebrews said that we shouldn't neglect gathering together as some are in the habit of doing, but we need to encourage one another and all the more as we see the return of Christ coming nearer and nearer. So last week I talked about what our vision was as a church. And our vision is this, that we want to be an inviting church that leads people into a growing relationship with God and with other people. And I talked about the fact that the word inviting in this vision statement is both a verb and an adjective. It's a verb in the sense that we want to be people who are inviting other people, inviting them to faith in Christ or inviting them to come to the church. But in that sense, it's a verb. But also, we want to be an inviting church 
as an adjective, the kind of church that's welcoming, so regardless of where people are at spiritually, they would feel at home. But we want to be an inviting church that leads people into a growing relationship with God and other people, and different churches are about different things. I think some churches are just about rules, and some churches really focus just on maybe doctrine, or some churches are about appearance and dressing nicely, or who you'll connect with or whatever, but we think it's about relationships. And we base that on when Jesus was asked the question, what's the greatest commandment? Of the 613 Old Testament laws, which one is the most important? And Jesus answered, Without hesitation, it's to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. In both the Old and the New Testaments, we find this is the thing that matters, loving God and loving others. And so we feel like if we are helping people do that, we're succeeding as a church. If through the things that we do, you grow closer to God, we're succeeding. If you grow closer to other people and love them more, then we're succeeding. Well, today I want to talk about how we grow as Christians. And if you were here last week, I mentioned the fact that in about a week or two, we're going to be handing out a membership manual, which we're calling a partnership manual. We're kind of changing the terminology. We don't want to talk about just membership at the church, but partnership. And we're going to ask you sometime between now and the end of the series to consider partnering with us. The things I'm going to be talking about tonight are in that manual. And so I wanted to briefly talk about them. I also want to acknowledge that the terminology I'm using tonight comes from another pastor, Andy Stanley. I don't often borrow what someone else has said, but as you'll see in a minute, the things we're going to look at are a lot of the same things that were mentioned tonight. How do we grow as Christians? And there are many, many of the things that you mentioned tonight. I want to look at five of them tonight. We're calling them catalysts for growth. The first one is practical teaching. And by this, when we talk about practical teaching as a catalyst for growth, we're talking about being exposed to God's word in such a way that we apply it to our lives that it changes. In other words, it becomes very practical in our lives because just hearing the Bible doesn't really help us. Uh, James talked about that in the New Testament book of James. He said that a person who hears God's word but doesn't do anything about it is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and then walks away without doing anything about it. You know, you look in a mirror and presumably you're looking to see if anything needs to be fixed. And maybe you've got some mark across your face or something's not quite right. And, and the idea is you look in the mirror, it exposes certain things about yourself and then you have a chance to fix them. But who would look at a mirror, see that they have something that needs to be changed, but then walk away and do nothing about it? And James said, that's what happens when we don't apply God's word. Or God's word, like a mirror, reveals certain things about us, and it gives us an opportunity to change. Now, Jesus talked about the importance of this as well. I'd like to read some verses in Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 24, because Jesus, again, laid this exact same principle out to his audience. In Matthew 7, beginning in verse 24, he said, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a sensible, sensible man who built his house on a rock. The rain fell, the rivers rose, and the winds blew and pounded that house, yet it didn't collapse because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. 
The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded that house and it collapsed and its collapse was great. It says in the New Testament in a few places that the people were absolutely amazed at the teaching of Jesus. They said, I've never heard anyone teach like Jesus did. But Jesus wanted people to understand that there was more to it than just hearing amazing teaching. And so he gave this illustration. He said, you know, the person who hears what I'm saying but doesn't act on it is like a person who builds a house on the sand. Now, most of my Christian life, I've had a certain image in my mind of what Jesus was talking about because he's contrasting building a house on the sand versus building a house on a rock. And in my mind, I was envisioning somebody building their house on a beach, you know? And he's saying, well, don't build your house on the sand, you know, on a beach there because, you know, if it rains or whatever, there are going to be issues. Build it instead on a rock. But when I was in Israel a little, a little over a year ago, uh, Ray Vanderlyn was commenting that the Jewish listeners would have had an entirely different image in mind. See, what Jesus was talking about was what's called a wadi. I've mentioned a wadi before, but a wadi is a riverbed that's dry. But when it rains, it becomes a violent river. And so throughout Israel, there are these wadis, and that's where they would have had sand in Israel. And so he's describing somebody that comes across one of these wadi areas, and he builds his house in the wadi area there, and then all of a sudden the spring rains come, and like a river, that's how Jesus described it, the rain fell, the rivers rose. And I've seen uh, pictures of this, or I've seen examples of this through video of how the water came rushing down the wadi and really just wiped out everything in its path. And that's what Jesus is describing here, that we think, you know, if I just hear God's word, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a great thing. But what he's really saying is, if we don't start doing what we know, what we hear from God's word, then when the storms of life come, when the rivers of life come, we won't stand. And over the years, I've seen a lot that they thought they were standing firm and then the trials of life came and they got knocked off their feet because they had not applied the word, they only knew it. And so practical teaching really matters. A second catalyst in addition to practical teaching is private disciplines. This is where we take personal responsibility for our growth. Now, there's a part that God plays in our spiritual development, and there's a part that we play. And I think both are very important. The way I would liken this would be like um, a garden. Now, I'm not very good with gardening. There's a little garden next to my house here, and it never does well. I grow rocks really well, and weeds. They love my garden. The weeds love it. I'm just not a real good gardener, but I do know this, that if you wanna have a half-decent garden, uh, the first thing you do is you kind of uh, till it up and you get rid of the stones and you get rid of the weeds and you prepare the soil and then you take the seed and you plant it and then you need to make sure you water it. Now, sometimes the rain takes care of that, but there are things that we do and then as it, as it goes along, you weed it to make sure that it doesn't get, uh, you know, ruined because of the weeds. But if you've done gardening before, you know this, you can't grow anything. I mean, I've always been amazed at how some little seed that you plant can grow into something big. You know, I'll plant a little tomato seed or something, and it's just a little thing. 
and yet it can grow into this huge plant. And I think it's, I mean, I think it's miraculous. I mean, I, maybe I'm a little simple-minded about it, but I look at, at it and I say, that can't happen. Well, God causes the growth, and I think that's true of our lives as Christians. God is the one who causes the growth, but there are things that we can do that could make a difference. Private disciplines, what are some of those disciplines? Well, some of you have mentioned this idea of what Christians call a quiet time or devotional time. Just pulling away daily in prayer and in Bible reading. It, it is, to me, the single biggest thing that has made the difference in my life is setting aside time to read the Bible and to pray every day. Some of you that know my story know that I started reading the Bible in that way more consistently because of my high school nemesis, the school bully that used to wait for me outside the locker room. I couldn't talk to anyone else about him, but I could take it to God, and it began to develop a relationship with God, the daily relationship with God, because I was so scared of this kid. I was praying all the time, reading the Bible all the time, and it developed a wonderful habit in my life. So I, I didn't like him, but I'm grateful for him. I'm thankful. Now, there are other, though, uh, habits that we can have in our lives. One of them someone mentioned is just studying the Bible. And that's something that can change us as well. I love what Paul said in 2 Timothy 3 verses 16 and 17. He said, all scripture is inspired by God. It literally means God breathed and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness so that the man of God or the woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I think God's word has that ability. It, it can teach us, but it can also correct us. It can train us. And so as we spend time in God's word, reading, studying, memorizing would be one of these private disciplines that some of you have, just memorizing verses in the Bible. But there are others. One of them is fasting. Now that's one that maybe some of us have never tried before, but sometimes devoting two or three days where you're just gonna go without food so that you could focus on God. You know, Jesus said man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. And so he set aside food so that he might focus his attention on God. Jesus talked about other private disciplines. One of them was giving. Uh, he said, you know, when you give, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. These private disciplines are called private because they're things you do between you and God. But they could really make a difference in our spiritual growth. For example, in terms of giving, when we give or when we tithe, it requires faith. It requires trusting God, do I believe that if I do this, you're gonna come through for me? And when we take those steps, then we begin to grow spiritually, and such is the case with all of these disciplines, these private disciplines in our lives. A third catalyst for growth, in addition to practical teaching and these private disciplines, is personal ministry. And someone mentioned that as well. When you decide to serve in some area, especially if it's hard to do, if it's scary for you to do, God uses that in an amazing way. And you find that God is indeed faithful to you in the midst of that. When I think of the people in the Bible that God used in some pretty significant ways and pretty spiritual people, oftentimes this is what God used to cause them to grow. Like think of the example of Moses. Moses, you remember, argued with God, I can't do it. You know, go to Pharaoh, go lead the people of Israel out. I can't do it, I can't do it. I mean, five times. 
He told God, I can't do it, I can't do it, I can't do it. But he became one of the greatest leaders that has ever led in the history of the world. God used this to raise him up. Others are like that in the Bible too. I think a Gideon was someone that was reluctant to lead. I think of a New Testament example of Timothy. Timothy was very timid and I think he was always fearful and he, he, we know that he had constant stomach aches because Paul told Timothy, drink a little wine for your stomach aches. Something happens though when we are willing to be used by God when we step out and we do something that requires faith or trusting in him, we grow spiritually. I think of a couple examples in my own life. When I was in Columbus, Ohio, I was asked to be a worship leader at the church I attended and it was a church of about 500 people. I did not wanna do it. In fact, the only reason I said I'd be willing to do it was because I didn't wanna disappoint the people that asked me or I didn't want them to know I was afraid. I don't know, but I said yes to doing it. I, I, I was scared to death. And literally every Sunday, I went up there desperate for God to help. You can believe that I grew during that time. But there have been other times like that. I remember a, a case here at the university. I took a psychology class, and the teacher offered to give extra credit to anyone who would do a talk. And I felt like God wanted me to do a talk related to Jesus. I didn't want to do it. I went up to the teacher a week or two into the semester, and um, I said to the teacher, I, I'm willing to take you up on this, um, but I want you to know what my subject's going to be. My subject's going to be about Jesus. I want to I talk about how Jesus answers the questions that psychologists are raising, you know, questions about the meaning of life the abundant life, things like that. I was hoping that she would say, no, you can't do that. You know, then I did my part, I tried. <laughs> she said, that's a great idea. As far as I know, she wasn't a believer in Christ. In fact, the things that she had talked about up to that point demonstrated to me that she didn't have faith in Christ. But she said yes, and I, and I would say that that week leading up to that talk, I didn't sleep at all. I mean, I'm just so afraid. I just kept thinking of this. I don't want to do it. I don't want to do this. And the day came. Teacher said, we have a student that has taken me up on this offer to um, talk. And he's going to be talking about how Jesus answers the questions that psychologists are raising. And I, I got up and I sat up on the, on the table. And the first thing that happened, on her desk actually, facing the students. And the first thing that happened is a student raised his hand. He said, do I have to listen to this junk and I love the teacher's response. She said, well, if you wanna, you wanna pass this class, you have to. Something happened the moment I began to speak. I, I can hardly describe it. I was so afraid, but the moment I opened my mouth, I became a different person. I became bold, I became someone that I wasn't, and I saw how God could actually use me. I, I, was, I was amazed by it. And then when I was done with the talk, I didn't know how people were gonna respond, but I, I, I didn't wanna think about it even because I thought after I do this talk, I'm gonna be like someone who's got leprosy. You know, no one's gonna wanna have anything to do with me like he's that Jesus guy. But the people applauded, and then afterwards a bunch of students came up and wanted to talk about it, and I, I just could not believe it. And I walked away from that saying, God, you are God. 
Now, I think when we do this, when it comes to personal ministry and we take opportunities, we, we grow. And oftentimes, we're not growing because we're not involved. We're not being used by God, and we don't see how he can work through us in some pretty amazing ways. Fourth callus for growth, in addition to practical teaching, private disciplines, personal ministry, is providential relationships. You can't really tell your life story without talking about other people along the way, your parents and other people, but I think the same thing is true when it comes to our spiritual journey. I think many times in the sovereignty of God, God connects you with other people that make the difference in your life. Now, many of you, if you think about it, you can think of individuals that you met along the way that have made a profound difference in your life. And I think God uses other people in this way, the sovereignty of God and some providential connection that he makes. Now, part of our job as a church is to create environments where these connections can take place. That's kind of our part of it, but it's your part to come to these things and meet people that could change your life, whether it's through a community group or other things that we're doing. I think of, though, a providential relationship I had in my life. It was a guy named Greg Veneta when I was a student at Bible college. The two of us were both on the wrestling team. He was an amazing wrestler. In fact, I believe he was the state champion wrestler in high school for the state of Michigan, which was kind of a big deal. And he was on our little Bible college wrestling team. So obviously he won every match. And then there was me. I'd never wrestled before until college. I was horrible. But I had a lot of respect for Greg. He was one year ahead of me. And he actually graduated and moved back to Michigan. And that next year I went to Bible college. But one day I had an occasion when I was an RA at the Bible college to go visit a student who was in a dorm that I'd never been in. I'd never been in this dorm before. I'd never even, I don't think, met this student before, but I had some kind of an assignment with him, and so I went up to the door of this student. I knocked the door and when, on the door, and when the door opened, there was Greg standing in the room. And I couldn't believe it. I hadn't seen him since then. And he was explaining about a conference that he was inviting some of his friends to attend. Now, Greg would never have sought me out because we weren't that close of friends. We were just both on the wrestling team. But when he saw me, he began to explain about this amazing conference. And he said, Tim, if you're interested in going, I'll pay your way. It was actually a ski conference in northern New York. And I said, well, I'll go. And the only reason I said I would go is because of the respect I had for this guy. It may not be accurate for me to say this. I don't know if it was true or not. It just seemed this way to me. But when I was at Bible college, everybody seemed to fit into one of two categories. Either they were what I called nerdy students, but spiritual, or they were students that I would consider to be cool but they were not spiritual. It seemed like everybody fit into one of the two categories. By the way, I was the nerdy category. But they, it just seemed like that you had this group that were, they were very spiritually in tune, but they, they just were kind of nerdy. And then, you know, you had this other group here, and, and many of those students, by the way, I was discovered, they didn't even fill out the application themselves. Several of them told me, yeah, my parents filled out the application so I'd get into the school because the parents thought, if I can get my kid to Bible college, it'll fix them, which seldom works. 
But in either case, that was the case. And when I was an RA, the people I always had trouble with were the second group, the cool kids who got into trouble, who were not spiritual. But Greg was different. Greg was somebody who I viewed as cool and athletic and everything else, and yet he also loved God with an amazing passion. He would pin the guy and then he would go over and sit with the guy on the other side and he'd share Jesus with him. And just about every match that we had, he led the person to faith in Christ. I'd never seen anyone like it that was so cool yet so spiritual. And had anyone else invited me to this conference that was taking place after Christmas, between Christmas and New Year's, I would have said no, but it was Greg. Well, that conference I went to changed my life. It made a difference. In fact, I changed so dramatically that some of my friends at the Bible College were concerned, like, what happened to you? And one week after I graduated from Bible College, I moved to Columbus, Ohio to get involved with the association of churches that put on that conference, an association of which we are a part. Now, I view that as a providential relationship. I believe God pulled us together, and I think this is what happens in our lives. Are there people in your life that have made a difference, that have helped moved you along spiritually? We need people like that in our lives. God uses other people to help us grow spiritually, providential relationships. The last catalyst I want to talk about tonight is pivotal circumstances, and this also was mentioned tonight. In fact, all of the things you said tonight would fit into one of these five. Pivotal circumstances. Sometimes things happen in our lives and they change the direction of our lives forever. Many, many times the things that happen are not things we would like to go through again. They're difficult things. They're, they're, you find out that someone has cancer. You find out this situation. You lose your job. Something happens. It's kind of a big deal, and it shakes your world. It turns it upside down, and yet many times God uses that pivotal circumstance in your life to get you to grow spiritually. Now, I think it matters whether or not there are two things that are true of us if the pivotal circumstance is gonna have the right effect in our lives. What are the two things? One of them is the right worldview, and the other one is who we're doing life with at the time. Let me briefly talk about both of those. Your worldview. If you have the theology that God is working everything out for the good in your life, if you have the theology God loves you, God knows what you're going through, God cares about you, God is sovereign over everything, if that is your worldview, then when you go through a difficulty, you're gonna face that very differently than someone who doesn't have that idea. You're gonna say, you know, this is very, very hard for me, but I know there's a God. I know God's working it out in my life. Your worldview will make a huge difference, which is part of the reason I think church is so essential to help us with our worldview. But the second thing is other people with whom we're doing life because your friends are gonna help you when you're going through these difficulties. And sometimes our friends don't help us at all. But if we're doing life with people who know God, who have the right worldview, they're gonna come alongside you and help you. There's a good example of this that's found in the Old Testament in 1 Samuel 23. 
It's a, a story involving David. David was not yet king of Israel. He was going through a very difficult time in his life. He was being chased by Saul, who was the king of Israel at the time. And uh, I think he was discouraged, very discouraged, and he got a visitor. A visitor that was, by the way, a providential relationship. And in 1 Samuel 23, 16, we read, Then Saul's son Jonathan came to David at Horesh and encouraged him in his faith in God, saying, Don't be afraid, for my father Saul will never lay a hand on you. You yourself will be king over Israel, and I'll be your second in command. Even my father Saul knows it is true. Now, it may not be real obvious what David did here, but what David did here was he pointed Jonathan's, I'm sorry, David's eyes, Jonathan pointed David's eyes back to God's promises. That's what we need. God had promised David, you're gonna be the next king of Israel. So Jonathan comes along, and he says, God's not gonna abandon you. He promised that you're gonna be the next king. God is faithful to his promises, and it encouraged David a great deal to have someone come along and point his eyes to two things, one, to his God, and second, to the promises of God. And I'm just saying that that's the kind of thing we need in our lives. We need people that will speak truth to us. This is why, by the way, community groups are so important, that you be involved with a smaller group of believers because they will come alongside of you when you're going through difficulties. They'll become for you a lifeline, and I hear stories all the time. These friends of mine made the biggest difference in my life. Now, what should we do with what I'm talking about here tonight? Well, I, would, I want to encourage you to grab one or two of these things and say, this is what I'm going to devote myself to. I'm, I'm going to do something about this. It might be the practical teaching part of it. Maybe you're not exposing yourself to God's word enough, either through a community group or even coming on the weekends. I find most people come on the weekends, it seems, every other week. I think if you came three times instead of two in a month, it could make a difference just exposing yourself more to God's word. So some of you, maybe that's what it is. For some of you, it's private disciplines. Maybe during this new year, you're gonna say, I wanna start having this daily time. Even if it's just five minutes or 10 minutes, I'm gonna start having this daily time, getting to know God. And by the way, the purpose of this quiet time, this devotion time, it's not to read through the Bible in a year or that type of thing, or to even learn just what the Bible says. The point of a quiet time, a devotional time, is to connect with your creator. And so sometimes I'll read a lot, sometimes I'll read a little. What I'm looking for is that point in which I feel like God said something to me and when I'm connecting with my creator. But there might be some other private disciplines in your life. Maybe it is giving. Maybe it's some of you want to consider fasting as a discipline. Of course, Jesus talked about all these things. Third is personal ministry, and maybe some of you want to step up to the plate and say, you know, I need to start serving in some way so that I can see the power of God working through me. Could be providential relationships, which again, these are something I think God does, but I think it helps when we expose ourselves to other Christians or contexts in which God can introduce you to other people, people that you can meet, that you only in in reverse, we'll see, oh, that was a providential relationship. And finally, pivotal circumstances. This, again, is something God does. But it does depend, I think, on your worldview and the people with whom you associate, how you're going to respond to it. Some of us maybe need to examine 
the pivotal circumstances in our life in the past and ask how did God use these or how may God want to use these in the future. Now, I want to mention in closing here again that in a week and a half or two or so, we're going to be making available the membership manual. We're going to ask you to consider reading through that and, and partnering with us uh, because we think that can make a difference and I think that also could be part of your spiritual journey. Let's pray. Father, thank you again that you've made it possible for us to go through our spiritual journey with other people, that you've not left us alone, that there are spiritual mothers and fathers, brothers and sisters, Lord, and, and we do need one another, oh Lord. I think sometimes in our culture, we just don't recognize how much we need other people to help us. We need the body, the rest of the body of Christ. And Lord, I ask you to give us the grace to apply some of the things we've heard tonight. Help us, O oh Lord, to be doers of the word and not merely hearers. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.